This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome to Dissect, long-form musical analysis broken into short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Cole Kushner. In episodes one and two, we explored three things. The history of Compton, Kendrick's upbringing and evolution as artist, and Good Kid, Mad City, his major label debut. These are the foundational elements that the Pimp a Butterfly are built upon, and will be used as reference points throughout our examination of the album. As you'll remember, Good Kid Mad City told a coming-of-age story. We witnessed K-Dot, a young boy whose actions were influenced by the chaos of Compton, transform into Kendrick Lamar, a man who found redemption through music and lives by principles of love, family, and God. To Pimp a Butterfly picks up where Good Kid left off. Kendrick, now a global icon, is transported into an unfamiliar world of fame, wealth, influence, and temptation. Remember, for the first 25 years of his life, Compton was the only world Kendrick knew. When he made it out, he was ill-equipped to navigate his new world. He was met with more temptation of sin, not less. He also experienced deep remorse about the people he left behind, and was confused and insecure about his place in the world outside of Compton. I always figured I was, you know, uh uh-uh real strong, strong-minded person, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I fell and bumped my head a few times, you know, being influenced by people around me, but I always felt like, you know, I was always a leader. But um, it's a different type of temptation when the spotlight is on you, you know what I'm saying? And that right there, that really defines how much willpower and how strong-minded you really are. What's my weak areas? What's my strong points? Where's my most vulnerable points? Um, my points where I say, fuck you, fuck everything. All that comes out, you know, when that, when that light is on, it's flashed on you, you know, and then when the light is off and you're in that room by yourself alone, all these thoughts going in your head, you know what I'm saying? So, um, it's a balance of everything right now, and I'm, I'm freshly knowing it. You know, to be 100% honest, honest with you, I'm still going through the motions, you know, and try to balance everything out, you know. 
Everybody can tell you, man, once your album come out, it's gonna change everything. You hear that. You always hear that. But when it do come out and it, it do what you always wanted to do, it does change and it changed so fast, so fast. Clarity for Kendrick came by way of a pivotal trip to South Africa in 2014. Here, Kendrick toured the city's historical sites, including Nelson Mandela's jail cell at Robben Island. According to the producer Soundwave, the trip inspired Kendrick to scrap two or three albums worth of material and begin anew on what would become To Pimp a Butterfly. It was also during this time that the U.S. saw the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2013 and 14, prompted by the killings of multiple unarmed black men by white police officers, who were later acquitted without punishment. Protests and riots broke out across the country and ignited debates about racial profiling, police brutality, and racial inequality in the U.S. justice system. On To Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick is able to draw parallels between his own personal journey and the topical issues that arose from the Black Lives Matter movement. Like he would say in multiple interviews, he's not speaking for the community or of the community, he is the community. Growing up in Compton, he could have easily been a Trayvon Martin or a Michael Brown. He knows their experience all too well. Like the evolution of K-Dot to Kendrick Lamar in Good Kid, Bad City, Kendrick structures his album around a narrative of transformation, from caterpillar to butterfly, from prostitute to pimp. What sets to pimp a butterfly apart, and what makes it for me a stronger album, is the intricate thematic layering, the stories within the story. Good Kid was deeply personal and told a very specific, very true story. If it were made a movie, Good Kid would be shot with handheld cameras and be played on 1980s VHS. To Pimp a Butterfly would be more akin to a Stanley Kubrick film. The sets would be expansive and intricately designed, each shot carefully composed, and the script would be complexly layered with a multitude of themes and subtexts. Lamar is able to tell his story within the framework of a number of contextual and thematic elements. The history of African Americans and their place in today's society, the exploitative nature of capitalism, the residual effects of our nation's dark history, and the destructive relationships we have with our icons, to name a few. And while sonically, Good Kid was for the most part a very contemporary hip-hop sound, To Pimp a Butterfly draws on the eclectic 70s and 80s music Kendrick's parents played in his youth. Influences of the Isley Brothers, Sly Stone, Donald Byrd, Parliament, Miles Davis, James Brown, Prince, and others accumulates onto Pippa Butterfly into a kind of sonic portrait of the recent history of black music in America. To create this sound, Kendrick assembled a group of versatile jazz musicians whose collective voice works to unify the album's many influences. Producer saxophonist Terrace Martin, pianist Robert Glasper, bass virtuoso Thundercat, saxophonist Kamasi Washington, singers Anna Wise and Bilal, all make significant contributions to the album. We would also rely heavily on two longtime collaborators, producer Soundwave and Tabeast. An attempt to better wrap our heads around the enormous amount of thematic content contained in To Pippa Butterfly, we're going to structure our analysis in acts. Each act will contain a linear group of thematically related songs that we'll examine individually first, then together as a set. At that point, we'll determine how each act as a whole advances the narrative. We'll also observe how they relate to the grand tell-all story recited at the conclusion of the album. And while I can easily continue to preface to Pimp a Butterfly for hours, I'm going to stop myself here, as I'm sure you're antsy to start exploring the album. I know I am. So without further ado, let's dissect. Hit me! When the 
Act 1, Pimped by Consumption. Act 1 of To Pimp a Butterfly is comprised of the album's first three songs, Wesley's Theory, For Free, and King Kunta. On today's episode, we explore Wesley's Theory, the album's opening track. The first sound we hear on To Pimp a Butterfly is the crackling white noise of a record needle. It's a nod to the analog past so influential to the album's sound, but also sets a tone of storytelling. This isn't just a collection of songs that can easily be skipped by the push of a button or remote control. It's a narrative, a connected story that should be listened to in succession, the whole greater than the sum of its parts. From the white noise rises a sampled refrain from Jamaican musician Boris Gardner. The sample gently ascends from silence and gives the opening the feeling of introductory credits of a film, with the listener settling in and preparing for a cinematic experience. Thematically, the refrain foreshadows the album's conclusion, that inside each human being, specifically African Americans, there is a star, a potential for greatness. Gardner was a Jamaican artist in the 1970s who was attempting to reclaim the N-word from its distressed past, something Kendrick will later do on the album's penultimate song, I. Let's listen to an excerpt of the original Gardner tune from 1973. I have walked the streets alone Twenty years I've been on my own To be hated and despised No one to sympathize But there's one great thing I know you can say I told you so We've got a bright place in the sun Where there's love for everyone And every nigga is a star In the album's conclusion, Tupac will tell Kendrick, we ain't really rapping, we're just letting our dead homies tell stories for us. It's fitting then that the album would start with a reference of the past of another black artist attempting to change the culture through music, self-confidence, and positivity. Like Kendrick is continuing the conversation decades later. On the flip side, the juxtaposition between the poison potency of the N-word with the word star is reminiscent of the contrast between the words pimp and butterfly. When heard more cynically, the excerpt could be interpreted as having exploitative connotations. Later in the song, we'll meet the character Uncle Sam, who views stars as objects of profit. You could just imagine Uncle Sam humming Gardner's tune while sadistically smiling through his teeth. Of course, the sample is from 1973, which also ingeniously nods at the album's own funkadelic influences. Like most things Kendrick touches, this sample works on multiple thematic levels. It also introduces a key thematic element, contrasting duality. Like Caterpillar and Butterfly, like the N-word and Star, Kendrick will continue to explore the complex duality of being over and over again throughout the entire album. The Gardner sample is interrupted by an exclamatory James Brown-like Hit Me, which gives way to a brooding, bubbling minor key funk groove produced by Flying Lotus. An ominous voice from above bellows a haunting allegory. Hit me! When the four corners of this cocoon collide, you'll slip through the cracks hoping that you'll survive. Geniusly, this introduction encapsulates the entire story of the album. The four corners of the cocoon represent Compton, and with Kendrick's escape through music, he slipped through the cracks of that chaos. 
Now he attempts to survive outside the only world he knew. It will lead him to take a quote, deep look inside. He'll ultimately question himself, the nature of success, influence, and his audience. The song's hook follows, with Kendrick singing about his dreams of rap stardom metaphorically as his first girlfriend, his first love. He once genuinely loved music, but that love has now turned to lust, a desire to exploit or pimp his talents for fame and fortune. He then acknowledges Bridges Burned, his relationships with friends and family destroyed by his success, something that will later haunt him to the point of depression. At first I did love you But I just wanna fight Late nights thinking of you Until I got my nut Toss and turn Lesson learned You was my first girlfriend Bridges burned All across the board While music may be specific to Kendrick's personal dream, he doesn't directly reference it. In this way, the hook and its message are ambiguous enough to take a more universal shape. Kendrick is essentially talking about the American dream. How many of us dreamt of stardom when we were younger? And was our youthful dreams motivated more by the craft that would bring us fame, or by fame itself? Like the song's hook, the first verse continues in the mindset of a young black artist. He now fantasizes about what he'd do when he gets a record deal, when he quote-unquote makes it. According to Kendrick in an interview with MTV, these were real thoughts he had when he signed his first deal. This is one of my favorite records off the joint. Um, First off, the lyrics is, is, is me going back to that feeling of what I wanted to do when I got signed. These, these, these are actually real thoughts. Right. Uh, you go back to that same mentality when you get some money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm go he dreams of recklessly spending a fortune on cars, jewelry, and guns. He wants to emulate the image of success he's seen on TV and in music videos. When I get signed, homie, I'm at Kaboo. Hit the dance floor, strobe lights in the room. Flash your little secretary, bitch, for the homies. Blue eyed devil with a fat ass mouth. I'ma buy a brand new cutty on Vows. Truck the hood up two times, do flow. Plant them on everything, plant them on wet rain. Married to the game and a bad bitch shows. When I get signed, homie, Kendrick's fantasies of reckless spending works to the benefit of and is encouraged by capitalistic America. We can see that the young black artist is already being pimped by his own fantasies. His image of success actually works to the advantage of the oppressive establishment that's held him back his entire life. Monetary success, quote unquote, is thus an illusion, a ploy to keep the talented tame by their own ego-driven desires, feeding themselves right back into an unjust system instead of developing into a real position of influence. Midway through the verse, political undertones emerge as Kendrick states he's going to pass out CIA-supplied guns to his neighborhood. While on the surface, the act of arming his hood is perhaps another short-sighted fantasy, It alludes to the 1980s crack epidemic that was aided by the U.S. government funneling guns and drugs into L.A. neighborhoods. Next comes a reference to the album's cover art as Kendrick talks of bringing the Compton swap meet to the White House, knocking out Republicans and acting a fool. The juxtaposition of the imagery is striking. A hog-tied white judge in a suit beneath a group of jovial, rowdy, shirtless black men posing for the camera in front of the White House. 
It's a fairy tale image of rebellion. But after its initial impression fades, we realize the statement it makes goes deeper. For context's sake, we're going to save our thorough examination of the cover art for our conclusion episode. But suffice to say that it represents each of the album's theme areas simultaneously. The verse concludes with a rather potent line, uneducated but I got a million dollar check like that. The phrase comes across as boisterous, a young man from the streets of Compton defying the odds and becoming rich seemingly overnight. But as we'll see in verse 2, the uneducated part will be exploited and will ultimately come back to haunt him. The daydream of verse 1 gives way to the bridge, a refrain performed by Thundercat. Quoting the now famous Rick James skit from The Chappelle Show, the message behind the refrain is rich with meaning. The words are a metaphor for the actions of the predominantly white U.S. government in post-slavery America. African Americans for years have fought an uphill battle to equally integrate into society after living as slaves for nearly 250 years. The bridge implies that giving African Americans the opportunity, however unequal, to succeed in America was considered a mistake by those in power. It'd be easier if they all just went back to Africa, as the line Go Back Home certainly suggests. The bridge infers that the black community is viewed as burdensome, a nuisance, not a priority. The bridge takes on another layer of complexity when you examine its source, The Dave Chappelle Show, an extremely popular sketch comedy show in the early 2000s. In case you're unfamiliar with the Rick James skit, here's the line Kendrick quotes from the show. The immensely popular comedian Dave Chappelle famously walked away from $50 million when he left his television show at the height of its fame. In his 2006 interview with Oprah, Chappelle said of his leaving, quote, You can't imagine what celebrities go through. I love being famous, but it's the way people around you position themselves to get in your pockets and in your mind. It's infuriating. He'd also say, quote, I felt in a lot of instances I was deliberately being put through stress because when you're a guy who generates money, People have a vested interest in controlling you. The stress would cause him to suddenly leave the country without telling anyone. His destination? South Africa, the same place Kendrick will later visit on the album in search of clarity. Wesley's theory continues with a repeat of the hook, followed by a breakdown in which Dr. Dre makes a cameo in the form of a voicemail on Kendrick's phone. A forefather of Compton and the epitome of sustained musical success, Dre warns young Kendrick of falling victim to the pitfalls of fame and fortune. The phrase, anyone can get it, refers to the butterfly in us all, that we're all capable of success. Keeping it, on the other hand, or not getting pimped, is much more difficult. Without giving young Kendrick time to think about Dre's prophetic warning, we are interrupted by Uncle Sam, the album's antagonist and a metaphor for American capitalism. He begins tantalizing Kendrick like a used car salesman with a whole slew of material goods. The hard part is keeping it, motherfucker. What you want? You a house, you a car, 40 acres and a mule, a piano, a guitar, anything. Say my name is Uncle Sam on your dog. Motherfucker, you can live at the mall. I know you're a kind. That's why I'm kind. Don't have 
receipts Pay me later, wear those gaiters Cliche and say fuck your haters I can see the bottom in you I can see the dollar in you Little white lies, but it's no white collar in you But it's whatever though, because I'm still following you Because you make me live forever, baby Count it all together, baby They hit the register and make me feel better, baby Your horoscope is a Gemini, two sides So you better cop everything two times Two coops, two chains, two C-notes Too much and enough, both we know Christmas, tell them what's on your wish list Get it all, you deserve it, Kendrick And when you hit the White House, do you But remember, you ain't passed economics in school And everything you buy, Texas will deny How Wesley sniped your ass before 35 the verse's opening reference to 40 Acres and a Mule will be referenced several times throughout the album, so we're going to take a few minutes to explore its origins. After the abolition of slavery in December of 1865, Union General William T. Sherman issued a radical order named a Special Field Order No. 15. It ordered that 400,000 acres be seized from Confederate landowners and redistributed to former black slaves. The land would be divided into 40 acres per family. Later, Sherman would announce that army mules could be lent to new settlers, hence the phrase 40 acres and a mule. By June of 1866, 40,000 black families inhabited the land. Less than a year after the order, President Lincoln was assassinated. Shortly after, President Andrew Johnson ordered that the vast majority of the land be returned to its former owners. This included the land settled by former slaves and their families. The federal government dispossessed tens of thousands of black landholders. In the end, only some 2,000 blacks retained land that they had won and worked after the war. Of course, this left thousands feeling betrayed. It was also a missed opportunity for economic reform that may have allowed southern blacks to consolidate and hold political gains made during the early years of Reconstruction. In the context of Wesley's theory, 40 acres and a mule becomes a metaphor for a history of disproportionate opportunity and betrayal in America. Conniving Uncle Sam lures young Kendrick to mindlessly dump his success into reckless materialism, overspending on gators, coops, chains, 40 acres worth of senseless goods. His spending spree encouragement is interjected with foreboding phrases like, I can see the dollar in you, don't have receipts, oh that's fine, pay me later, and you make me live forever. It all leads to a kind of grand reveal in the verse's closing lines. Let's have a listen. Get it all, you deserve it, Kendrick. And when you hit the White House, do you? But remember, you ain't passed economics in school. And everything you buy, Texas will deny how Wesley sniped your ass before 35. The conclusion begins with a reference to the White House, the ultimate symbol of power in America, reminding Kendrick that he may have money, but he's still ignorant still in no position to author any real change to the system working against him. Here we can circle back to the conclusion of verse 1, in which young Kendrick brags about being uneducated yet rich. He's been duped into an illusion of success and freedom, all the while Uncle Sam has been playing the puppet master. It's better, it would seem, to be educated and rich, like so many of those in power whose success was in part due to a system set up for and by them. The two closing lines make reference to Wesley Snipes, the successful black entertainer, and the infamous tax evasion and conspiracy charges of 2010 that landed him three years in prison. Kendrick flips Snipes' last name to the verb snipe, an implication of personal assassination before the age of 35, the legal age one can become president. Again, Kendrick is using the White House and its presidency as symbols of power. For all the fame and fortune one might receive as an entertainer, musician, or athlete, it can all be taken back through taxes, unfair royalty checks, publishing rights, shady contracts, 
An entire gamut of bureaucratic agencies that an uneducated person, however talented, could not fully understand. In the end, they are being pimped by Uncle Sam. From Dave Chappelle to Wesley Snipes, it's all too easy to fall from grace. As Dre said, anyone can get it, the hard part is keeping it. 40 acres and a mule indeed. It talks about something that we weren't taught in school mm-hmm. when we get this, this, mm-hmm. this money. I, I spent all my time in school and escaping prison and escaping uh, the system. So you mean to tell me the moment I become successful and I get some money and I don't know how to manage my money, mm-hmm. that you're going to throw me back in jail right. for taxes? Well, do you, you had the me? line, uh, educated, but I got a million dollar check. check. Exactly. Um, so nobody's prepared you for, and this is how it relates to Wesley yeah. Snipes. They might exactly. Wesley Snipes your ass. We, nobody prepared us for this. Nobody, mm-hmm. it's so important. They teach us everything else in, in, the, in these, these curricular activities redundantly. Well, how did you learn? Because I- Verse two is followed by the prime minister of funk, George Clinton, who like Dr. Dre, Warns young Kendrick of the pitfalls of fame. I Wesley sniped your ass before 35. The opening line is a play on the cliche the higher you climb, the harder you fall. In this case, young Kendrick is ascending to stardom, which looks good when you're on top, but look down and you realize the deadly consequences if you fall. Next, Clinton sings the cryptic lines, You got a medal for us, leaving miracles metaphysically in a state of euphoria. The medal represents Kendrick making it out of Compton, a miracle child that rose from a dark place against the odds. The phrase, look both ways before you cross my mind, is a play on another cliche, look both ways before you cross the street. A warning that foreshadows Kendrick's future mind state, one that endlessly races with doubt and depression. As it turns out, his mind is often a dangerous place to be. Conclusions When examining Wesley's theory as a whole, we can see that it was crafted cinematically, as if it were the first 10 minutes of a film. First, we hear an allegory that foreshadows the album's entire narrative arc. Then, through the hook in verse 1, we're introduced to the album's protagonist, Kendrick himself, a young, naive rapper lusting for fame, the American Dream. In verse 2, Kendrick meets the story's villain Uncle Sam, the American Dream incarnate, who attempts to lure Kendrick down a dark alley of materialism like so many before him. We're also introduced to a number of themes that will be explored throughout the album. Success, the exploitation of talent, power, and influence, and the black experience in America. Through character development and thematic content, Kendrick is setting the stage for our story, we're left wondering what will happen next. Without a chance to catch our breath, Wesley's theory concludes with the sending outburst of the phrase taxman coming. Taxman, which could easily be replaced by the word boogeyman, is an obvious reference to Wesley Snipes' fate. If you're successful and black in America, you'd better watch your back. I also couldn't help but snicker at the double meaning, intentional or not, of the phrase taxman coming, and the way it ascends to a perhaps literal climax, as if Uncle Sam is getting off on his exploitative fantasies. This climactic outro immediately collides with the album's next track, For Free, which we'll explore in great detail next time on Dissect.
Dissect is written and produced by me. If you enjoy Dissect, remember to rate and review on iTunes. It really helps. For additional content, including a Tapimpa Butterfly album map, follow us at Dissect Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit dissectpodcast.com. Theme music by Bureaucratic. For more, visit bureaucratic.bandcamp.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.